Hello everyone and welcome back to the Cyclocross Social Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about the 6th round of the Exact Cross series which took place in Lunhout. With me here to discuss that is Isam. Yes, thank you for having me. Racing got underway in Lunhout which was a bit muddy on some sections of the course and Mathieu van der Poel had the best start. Tom Pitcock had a pretty terrible getaway from the line, but with an audacious move into the first corner, he managed to go into the field as third. Van der Poel put in a blistering first lap, which would eventually be the fastest lap of the race, and he immediately put Van Aert under pressure. He made a mistake, which also held up Pitcock. Eventually, towards the end of the lap, Van der Poel made a small mistake on the stairs, which led to Van Aert coming back. Pitcock also came back, but Pitcock had a terrible place in the pit box. The side where they changed bikes, it was actually quicker to ride through the pits than to ride on the course, but Pitcock's position made it super terrible for him, so it was a lose-lose situation no matter if he changed bike or kept on riding. Pitcock suffered from that a couple of times and he was constantly yo-yoing off the back of Van Aert and Van der Poel. For a couple of laps, we had a pretty similar scenario unfolding every lap. Van der Poel would try and attack on the technical sections and Van Aert would come back on the muddy sections. Pitcock would usually come back when the pace dropped on the long start-finish straight. Eventually, with a couple of laps to go, Van der Poel looked to open a serious gap, but somehow Van Aert also managed to close this. Pitcock made a big mistake in the mud and looked to be out of it. However, going into the penultimate lap, the pace was super low on the start-finish straight and Pitcock managed to come back together again. Despite an attack in the penultimate lap by Van der Poel, they also went into the final lap with all three. In that final lap, Van Aert was the first to place an attack, but it seemed more the case that he wanted to be in front on some of the technical sections to avoid an attack by Van der Poel. However, he couldn't avoid that attack by Van der Poel as he placed it on the second technical part of the course. He opened a gap there of 5 seconds. He looked to have it in the bag as they went towards the second pit zone, but on the super deep muddy section before the second pit zone, he landed in a deep rut and got catapulted into the barriers. He didn't crash, but he was held up significantly enough to allow Van Aert to come back. Both riders went very deep and that allowed Pitcock to come back. We went down to a royal sprint between three on the long start-finish straight. Van Aert launched with a couple of hundred meters to go from the third wheel of the group and his speed was absolutely insane. Van der Poel was unable to respond to that and the same went for Pitcock. Van Aert took the win ahead of Van der Poel and Pitcock. Isan, we are being treated with some amazing duels. What was your thought on Van der Poel's tactic today? Because he was on the offensive the entire race. Yeah, we said it in uh, in Diegem, eh? about Lunaout that um, there is a one rider that, that is going to decide if they are going to take it easy or it's going to be a very fast race. And that's Van der Poel. And Van der Poel decided that he wanted to, to, yeah, to, to make a show out of it, to go as fast as he could in the first lap, put them under pressure. And, you know, in a way you can definitely understand it because I think he definitely put... Van Aert multiple times on the back foot and he had to defend, uh, you know, there was a gap and he had to chase him back. But I think that if you look at Van der Poel in terms of strategy, you you know, you could argue that it was maybe a bit too much, a bit, you know, if you do something in the last lap and you create a gap there and you have something left in the tank, it's, I think then you can maybe kill, kill Van Aert and the chances of him getting back to you. But I think that 
by doing those multiple attacks, the sharpness of an attack is becoming less and less. And, you know, you saw it in the last lap that, you know, the gap was there, but it was a gap that if you make a mistake, then it's going to be very difficult and that the others can always come back at such a point. And the gap was there. He made a mistake and Van Aert was back on the wheel. And then you, you already know that there's not much coming on the course and then it's going to be a sprint. Like, if he didn't make the mistake and, you know, he actually maintained the gap, you would have said that it was a, a great race from his side and a very, um, very aggressive and uh, way of riding. And But he didn't. Uh, and then, obviously, the you know, we're going to criticize him a little bit more. But I think in the end, it was um, an amazing, amazing battle to watch for the neutral viewer, for sure. Yeah, I don't think we really need to criticize his tactics. I mean, okay, his first lap was insanely fast. It was ridiculous. And his team manager, Christoph Rothoft, also said that they thought, at least within the staff, that maybe a slower start would have been more appropriate. But Van der Poel went all or nothing. He was racing like a child who had a straw and a couple of wads of paper. And every lap he would take one or two of these wads of paper and fire them at the helmet of Van Aert. And every lap he would try to crack that helmet, try to crack Van Aert. And at some point it seemed to work because just before the halfway point of the race, there was some talk on the Belgian broadcast that Van Aert might even have a puncture. But in reality Van Aert just didn't have an answer or a response to Van der Poel firing these wads at him. Van der Poel was firing Slavo after Slavo and trying to crack him on the technical sections. And Pitcock eventually needed to get Van Aert back into the race. It was similar scenario to Indichem, where at the halfway point of the race, Pitcock reinitiated the chase in Van Aert and allowed Van Aert to come back. Of course, Van Aert, just like Indichem, put in a big effort on the road to close the gap to Pitcock, but still, that was a turning point in the race because if Pitcock doesn't have the legs or the ability to close that gap to Van der Poel, Van der Poel is probably gone at the halfway point of the race again because Van Aert at that point was close to cracking. It then doesn't work because also Van der Poel has his limits, he can't keep going and needs to rest a bit after that. But the tactic was clear, he knew where his strong parts on the course were and he utilized that to the maximum. But then we come to this other key element and that's timing. Timing needs to be good. Van der Poel was flawless for the entire race, makes one mistake. And that mistake cost him the win. That's just how cross goes. You need to be flawless or without mistakes on the moment that it matters the most. And that is not coincidentally also the moment that it's the hardest to stay focused and sharp. And that's the final lap. Pressure is on. You're going deep. You're tired. And then he just chooses the wrong rut because the rut there, it caused some issues early in the race for Pitcock as well. He was professionally avoiding that in most of the previous laps. But in the final lap, he lands in it and it catapults him to the other side where you don't want to be. And that's unfortunate, but that's how Cross is. And it gave us a very nice plot twist in the end and a very royal sprint in the end. Yeah, indeed, a, a royal sprint, because I think that if it wasn't for that mistake, we might have not seen that that sprint, because I think that Van Aert, you know, he wasn't really looking behind and that was also not really necessary because Pitcock was definitely going to be third if the mistake wasn't, you know, wasn't made. And in the end, he also ended third in the sprint. But then at least, you know, he had a connection with the two in front. And but I think that in the end, you know, that mistake is 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 what led to 
the this decision or to the decisive moment of a sprint and the sprint van der Poel leading somebody that is arguably maybe close to you or even a little bit better uh, he did it in the Tour of Flanders but this time the reaction was just that tiny bit too late Van Aert you know started very well was very confident was able to sprint till the finish line and that's what you you know that's what you need to do to in the end win win the sprint and Van der Poel definitely tried everything but you know was only able to manage second and I think in the end you know it's it doesn't really matter uh, who won and who was second I think that is beautiful to watch these guys going at it and yeah uh, that is a sprint the sprint is always the the smallest of margins they that is what counts and you can always overanalyze something in terms of a sprint you shouldn't be doing that it was uh, in the end Van Aert that yeah, deserved the win because he was uh, constantly chasing Van der Poel and not letting him completely go uh, so I think in the end everybody came on his place Van der Poel without a mistake was going to be first but that's how it goes I think that Van der Poel in the sprint was a bit distracted by Pitcock because Pitcock was never really in this race to win it until that sprint he was consistently making mistakes and we'll come to that a bit later first stick to the sprint because Van der Poel was super alert that Pitcock could come from behind with the overspeed and an attack and that didn't work out. And I think that normally, if Pitcock wasn't there, Van der Poel would have attacked over the barriers and made it a super long sprint. Why? Because Van der Poel, we could see it in, I think, lap 3, 4 and 5 especially, that he was opening a solid gap of almost a second over those barriers because he's faster on the bunny hops than Van Aert. I think that's a free second and he would have launched from there in the hope to crack Van Aert. And even if he didn't, it's easier to focus on one rider than on three and he started the sprint in the worst position. He was leading out the group and Van Aert times his launch into perfection. Van Aert is in the third wheel, he knows he needs to make it a long sprint and he has a finishing straight which suits him. It's a super long straight and at the moment Van der Poel turns his head back from looking behind what's happening, he launches. Van der Poel never saw that coming. Because he turned his head back. He doesn't have eyes in the back of his head. So Van Aert, perfection there. Pitcock didn't have the legs or the energy anymore to really factor in the sprint. And by the time that Van der Poel sees Van Aert come up to speed, he also reacts. And his acceleration is pretty impressive. But because of the length, everything fell into its piece for Van Aert. I mean, Van der Poel looked to have the good cards in the early phase of the race. He looked to have... Uh, straight flush but on the final finishing straight it turned out to be that Van Aert had the royal flush in his hand and everything fell together for him which led to him winning the sprint and that sprint was a thing of a beauty because the speed power of Van Aert the timing everything was perfect for him I'm still waiting for him to sprint like this in the Tour of Flanders once because then in those sprints of on the road of smaller groups he never really seems to get things as perfect as today that was definitely good practice, so maybe he can take that experience with him into the road races. But Pitcock definitely played played a factor in that sprint because, like you said, Van der Poel and, and also Van Aert, they both kind of noticed that, that, he was, that he was coming, especially because the pace was dropped in such a way that, that somebody that was close by or at least not that far off would, would be able to return. And I think both didn't have any issues with that, but they just didn't want to 
be surprised by him and I think that Pitcock almost was able to do so but they just noticed him and then at that time it was it killed the momentum for Pitcock and I think you know the barriers there close to the to the finish could have played a role if Pitcock was not there I think that Van der Poel might would have tried maybe use the barriers get a, a small second maybe two seconds out of Van Aert there and then you have a gap already and then Van Aert needs to close that gap first before you can actually do something in terms of sprinting for victory and I think that that might have that could have that could have been a, a different scenario and it would have been interesting to see but with Pitcock Van der Poel cannot take such a risk because, you know, you jump the barriers. Pitcock is able to jump those barriers also quite quickly. And then, yeah, you, you have a risk of pulling everybody and that that's just not really going to work. So Pitcock played a, played a factor. And as always the case, when it's a sprint of two, it is actually easier to, you know, to, to, to have the guy in control and to not be surprised by, by his, uh, in, you know, when he initiates his sprint. But when you are with three... It's always a little bit more difficult because the one behind the guy that's behind you, if you're leading the sprint, is is can always surprise you in a way that you do not expect. And uh, if you have to um, control one guy, it's always easier than when you have to control two guys. Yeah, it is easier. And I think that in the end, it's a beautiful thing that it comes down to a sprint. But at the same time, I've noticed a couple of things. And just like in Zolder... If there was pressure coming from one rider, it was Van der Poel. If Van der Poel took the lead, there would be pressure on Van Aert. Today we saw that almost every single lap. It was Van der Poel who applied the pressure on Van Aert. And in Diegem, it kind of was the same thing. Until the insane turnaround by Van Aert, which completely cracked Van der Poel, it was Van der Poel who applied the pressure on Van Aert. In Gavre, it was Van der Poel who applied the pressure on Van Aert. In Mol... It was usually Van der Poel who applied pressure on Van Aert. But still Van Aert is the guy who has his hands in the air the most of the time. And Van der Poel today technically was so much better than Van Aert that he was pretty easily able to apply pressure on Van Aert. But it's not the same Van der Poel, at least relatively to Van Aert, that we saw a couple of seasons ago. A couple of seasons ago Van der Poel would also open a gap technically and then... Van Aert, whatever he did, he couldn't come closer on the straights. And then you come to the next technical section, and three seconds become five, and five become eight. And before you knew it, Van der Poel had 20 seconds, and he would consolidate 20 seconds, and he would win with something between 20 and 40 seconds. Now we see it differently. Van der Poel is still technically much better, but Van Aert is able to close the gap on the power sections. And of course... He was lucky with the rain today, because when the juniors raced today, the course was super fast, but it transformed into a mud bath today. It's just a bit weird, because I have at least had the impression over the past couple of races that Van der Poel was the one who put Van Aert under pressure, but somehow Van Aert keeps coming back, and I think this tells you something about the strength of Van Aert, and especially about the mental strength, because we've discussed this before, he just never gives up, it just... An interesting trend that I've noticed that I think at this point Van der Poel is technically better, but Van Aert is slightly better physically. But then at the same time, if I think at the most physical cross we've seen this cross period, it was Gavre, and that was won by Van der Poel. So that's a bit confusing, but I do still stand by it that I think Van der Poel is better technically and Van Aert better physically. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I think that's especially today as well, was was quite visible that Van der Poel could 
put Van Aert under pressure purely on 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 technique and on on in in the sections where you can utilize the technique the most. You could even you know with Pitcock as well. You could see that Pitcock was technically going through corners just a little bit better than Van Aert. If somebody is able to put you under pressure with with his technique, but you are able to come back, it means that you have something over the other guy in front of you, and that must then be uh, the, the 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 power. Uh, and I, you know, I think that Van Aert today in Lunas, the way he was was riding on the straights to close that gap, when Van der Poel had a gap and, and Pitcock was actually in between them, it was with such ease. That is, uh, you know, the TGV stroke again there, and it it is a, a, an amazing um, ability that he has. The way he, he can utilize that power, if he, you know, he can close a gap if there is not a lot of technique that that has to be used there compared to Van der Poel. I don't think that Van Aert is definitely the worst guy on the bike, but is the difference between him and, and Van der Poel is visible. But you know, it's it's Haver definitely. If if Haver was a race where Van Aert won, then it was for us, I think, a little bit easier to say, okay, Van Aert is at the moment a little bit better than Van der Poel. But Van der Poel won, like you said, probably the most physical race, if you could call it like that, and definitely the most, you know, a race that you would definitely say, maybe with a little bit more rain and, 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 and more mud, that is, on you know, that is perfect for Van Aert. And Van der Poel won. So... Yeah, it's it's for us. It's still uh, difficult. There are some races that are coming up, and hopefully we can see a fair fight. And maybe after Zonhoven, we have a better idea of what um, what the situation is. If we then look at the guy in third, Pitcock, he definitely rode a good race. He impressed me because it was a pretty terrible course for him. Flat, no elevation, bad start finish straight for him. It was super long. He even messed up his start quite horribly. And then the mud. Yeah, I thought he would struggle here. But again, he impressed me. He did have a relatively bad start. But he recovered super well from it. He had a terrible initial getaway. But with a move around the outside in turn 1. Even unclipping. Taking a lot of extra risks. He saved himself. And that was crucial to his race. Because the first lap of on the pool was so fast. He would have never been able to recover from starting in 10th or 12th so that was super crucial to his race and I think he now is like I talked about the lack of focus and that is kind of gone I feel like he knows the essence of a good start now and he really goes for it he knows if I mess up my start like in Zolder I'm done Zolder seemed to be a bit of an eye-opener for him and since then in Dijem and also today in Loonhout, there was fire in his starts and that was good to see and to then still, okay, make mistakes, fine, but still stay in the race, of course because the pace drops, it's pretty impressive on a course that doesn't suit him at all. Yeah, definitely, I think it's, um, if you would have told me a week ago that Pitcock was going to be battling it out with this with Van der Poel and, and Van Aert on a course like Loonhout, I would be saying, I mean, yeah, maybe for one or two laps and then, you know, the, the difference will be there. But Pitcock definitely impressed me over over the course of this week. And it's um, he, he definitely made a step in terms of, of, of improvements in in these type of courses where you would say that he would struggle. He was actually able to 
to be very close to those two guys and that's definitely promising that's that's good to see it's actually great to see and the question is then you know what is what is next for him because is he going to be able you know with he has this disadvantage in terms of weight he's a relatively lightweight quote-unquote compared to van der Poel and van Aert who on a course like this you definitely want to have some sort of body to get through the mud and a lightweight like like Pitcock on a course like this definitely has a disadvantage so I think what he is doing right now is very good to see and that is the steps that you need to make to in the end become the best cyclocross rider of the world. And Pitcock made the race so much harder for himself. I mean, in the mud, it looked like he was being thrown around by these ruts, partly because he was choosing the wrong ones, but also partly because of his lack of weight, that he had less weight to pressure on his wheels and compensate for being thrown out one side. But then the second thing that especially hampered him in the first part of the race was his pitbook allocation. Because in the second pit zone, it was quicker to pit than to ride. And Pitcock, he had, in the beginning of the race, box one. And that meant that out of the corner, he needed to accelerate for about two, three seconds, and then come to an abrupt halt, get on his bike, and speed up, whilst Van Aert was changing in the middle and Van der Poel to the end of the pit box. And it's not only just the bad timing of changing, because he needs to accelerate, come to an halt, and accelerate basically from standstill again, whilst the others can accelerate, and change at a relatively high speed and continue going. So it wasn't only that, it was also that once he remounted, there was a big puddle of water there, which meant that he couldn't accelerate quickly enough. He lost a lot of time by doing so. Van Aert had the best spot to change. For him, it was smooth, it was relatively fast there. For Van der Poel, it was okay. Luckily, Pitcock's mechanics moved, even though it's technically not allowed during the race, but there were no sanctions on it. So he moved, but still he was remounting somewhere around this puddle, which meant it was far from ideal. It's unfortunate because on paper there should have been allocated pit boxes. I know that this hasn't been the case with all C1 races this season that they actually implemented them. But if there were allocated pit boxes, it means that they needed to assign pit boxes yesterday. And yesterday the course was still looking fast, so they might have anticipated something else, but... It definitely made Pitcock's race a lot harder, but still then, it was impressive that on a course which is basically raw power and technique, he was able to stay in this race for so long and fight for it, and I will once again ask Pitcock to please race the World Championships, because him being up there at the front added another dynamic to it, and that certainly made the race even more entertaining than it already was. Let's take a look at the entire top 10 then, Van Aert with a win ahead of Van der Poel and Pitcock, Cameron Mason in 4th, ahead of Gerben Kuipers and Thomas Mien. 7th place went to Thijs Aert, ahead of Wietse in 8th. Timo Kielig ends 9th, with Niels van der Putten in 10th. We have to talk here about the two Brits, Isam. Cameron Mason and Thomas Mien. Three Brits in the top 6. Impressive stuff, and let's start with Cameron Mason. 4th place, absolutely fantastic for him. I don't know if I can say that it was a surprise, but it was definitely an outstanding performance from his side. I think that um, these are one of the races where obviously the field is not at its most competitive. We we miss some of the riders that, that, that could have fought for, for that fourth place. 
but then to you know doing what you have to do and and, and still get that fourth place we have seen from him that he is that he is in a, in a quite a good form and he is improving race by race but this is an outstanding performance i think it's uh, you know it, it confirms everything that um, th- that he kind of has the ability that he is a talent that he is somebody that you you know can expect in the future to to even perform better than he is doing right now obviously we saw the the the, the sprint and then after the sprint it was a little bit of waiting and then we saw Cameron Mason i was like oh, okay that's uh, quite a surprise because you know in the broadcast we saw him two three times but i think in the end for him um, it was also a surprise till the last lap he didn't know what position he was fighting for and then in the end he kind of knew it was going to be for fourth place and yeah to then hold it is uh, amazing and yeah i mean for both riders it has somewhat been coming i mean mason is having a very good season he raced the national trophy in falkirk in october then was out and basically only properly started his season in dublin he did a lot of gravel and mountain bike stuff over the summer and wanted a proper rest and it seems to be working because dublin havre both world cup top 10s 15th in Dijem is also a solid result and now 4th. It just keeps getting better and it's promising. He can definitely hope for a top 10 at the World Championships despite today not being the most sacked cross. Then Thomas Mean, he is having a bit of a rough season. The beginning of the season wasn't amazing for him in some of the less packed races. For instance, Bering, I remember seeing him not far outside of the top 10. Tabor World Cup, he didn't make a good impression on me when I was there either. Koppenberg, he was ninth, hmm, not great on a course that really suits him with a not so great starting field. But things have been improving ever so slightly recently. In Dijem, we could already see he was 12th. In Gavre, he was also improving 20th in a super packed race. And now he gets a top 10. Yes. I think for him it's a bigger factor than for Mason, the fact that quite some riders were missing. No Van Touren out, no Easy Beat, no Van de Haar, no Nieuwenhuis, etc. But he did it. Good job, sixth place, impressive, and I mean, he did benefit from other riders not doing that well. Corne van Kessel, last race for Tormans, 12th place. His teammate of him, Quinten Hermans, DNF. We don't know what happened to him, but. He was already struggling in the first part of the race, so I'm outside of the top 10. I think he didn't really like today's course. I think we do need to mention a rider who's actually making the opposite move. Well, not necessarily the opposite move. Thijs Aerts. From Balbaas Trek, he's joining Tormans. He will race for them on the 1st of January. Although they won't be called Tormans anymore. They will be just, just be called the Intermarché Wanty Cross Team. What did you think about Thijs Aerts' race and his move to the Wanty Cross Team as if we talk about his move first, I think that that was a, a move I wouldn't say expected, but it was obviously rumored that um, you know him and his brother would uh, would move to to Tormans Intermarché, uh, whatever it's going to be called, at the first of January. But that was going to be his move. Then it also came out. I think it's a, it's an it's an okay sign. Uh, I wouldn't be saying the same thing. If he was signed uh, two, three weeks ago, because I think the results were were not really at a at a level that I think Thijs Arts is. But I think with today, with Lunhout, it was definitely a, a solid result, and uh, th- you know those are results that I think Tormans or Intermarché would be very happy with. 
so I think that for him, it's um, I think for the team, it was almost a, a transfer where you, if you sign uh, Tonarts, then you sign Tysarts. You know, Tonarts obviously is not going to be signed. That's that's still something that is open, and um, you know, Tysarts is available. So then probably that contract was was laying there. Tysarts doesn't really have a team, I think, for for next season. So he had to he had to be at one team anyways, and I think then then. It was um, the best decision for him and for for Intermarché as well to just sign him and go with him. And I think that it's a, it's a solid signing and definitely a, a good addition to the team. Yeah, I don't know, man. I I feel like it's not an amazing signing because ever since he had that incident where parts of his fingers needed to be cut off, amputated, he hasn't been the same. And last year was a huge struggle. Struggle to get top 10s and at least in the main races needed to go to some races outside of Belgium to collect points to try and do well and it was hard and there was this story that Don didn't know if his brother could stay pro and there was some speculation that the decision of Tone Arts to move away from Balas Trek was because Balas Trek actually didn't want to re-sign Thijs and he wanted to go somewhere where he could race together with his brother and that Tormont could offer that and to me, it feels like a bit of a scam, not in the literal sense of a scam, but I indeed have the feeling that it was a package deal for Tormans, or I must try and say Vanti now, to that they get both to- Tone, they get Tone, the big package is Tone, and Tone brings Thijs with him, which is normal for big riders to bring a rider with them. I mean, Swake did the same with his brother, they raced all an era, and it's pretty normal, it's pretty common, also on the road, so... Now they only end up with Thijs, and as you say, Thijs Arch hasn't had the best season, and still it's not great. I mean, 7th today, it's not an amazing start field that was there today, let's be honest. I mean, it's okay result, but it's also not something that would make me think, oh, he's finding the good form again. I just think it's ultimately not in him anymore after that incident with his finger. I would like to end the men's uh, part of the podcast now with a mention of some names outside of the top 10. thought it was nice to see Curtis White, Loris Rouillet and Michael Crispin fight close to the top 10. They were in it for a while. Actually, I was pretty surprised to see Crispin there. Of course, he's a former European champion under 23 in uh, Civelle, which was a huge surprise back then. And it was surprising that it was in the top 10. And despite not the best start field, it was a decent showing by him. And I will end then to mention that Sudenik Stibar also raced today. He ended 17th. Let's quickly go on to the women's podcast then. Again, not to disrespect the women's race, but we will be keeping it quite short simply because the race was not that entertaining. Mario Schreiber had the best start, but towards the end of the lap, Shirin van Anroy overtook her and immediately opened the gap. It was basically a race over. Shirin van Androoy made a solo slim from it, 15 seconds became 20 seconds and that became minutes and then she stabilized and won the race. Ahead of Mario Schreiber, who was actually racing together with the Czech champion Kristina Zemanova for a while. About the halfway point of the race Zemanova however faded and that meant that Schreiber was able to keep that second place. Unfortunately, we couldn't see all too much about the battle for third place, but that one was super intense because going into the penultimate lap, we had Manon Bakker, who had caught up with a big group in the wheel to Zemanova. So Zemanova was there with Bakker, but Kay was there, Bentfeld, Modegraaf, Burkei, 
It was a big scrap, but we didn't see all too much, except that Manon Bakker opened a small gap going into the final lap and managed to keep that. So that made the podium Van Androoy, Schreiber and Bakker. Van Androoy now won three out of the four crosses she raced this Christmas period is some. We can either repeat ourselves and again conclude that she came back strong from the Trek training camp is choosing a wise program, or we can talk about something else around her. There is the rumor, at least it was mentioned by Michael Wouts, the Belgian commentator, who said that Van Androoy is probably going to skip the Dutch national championships and race the world championships with the under-23s. What's your thought on both of the decisions? One, to go training during the national championships and give up a potential title. And two, race with the under-23s while she's one of the best elite riders and give away a shot at the elite rainbow jersey. I think that um, that the nationals, it is, it is a decision that you can make. Um, I, I can understand from her point of view that, you know, an under-23 championships, Dutch championships will, nothing, will do nothing for her. You know, an elite championships is, I wouldn't say difficult, but it's not a guarantee for her. Uh, you know, a podium is always nice, but it can, you know, it's when you're going to do championship, you need to be fully committed, which means that you are not able to, uh, or or you have to come back from a training camp. And it, I can understand that, especially because she also wants to have a very good road season. So then maybe in the preparation with track, uh, they, they, they might have a, a training camp planned and she wants to join that training camp or the team asked her to join that training camp. And, you know, uh, we have seen the same decision with uh, Van Aert and Van Der Poel. So it's 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 definitely a, a trend at the moment. But I think that, uh, you know, from her side, that I would understand in a way. The, um, you know, world championships, I think it would be... Um, was was a nice way of saying it, but I, I, for me, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be doing it, especially because she is definitely somebody that could be on the podium in in the elite category, and I personally think that on a good day she's able to put Peterson van Empel under pressure, who we can expect as the main favorites, but it's still a bit too early, especially for van Empel. Uh, but but normally those are the two that are going to be the main favorites, and I think then, you know, you should be, especially as in Van Andro, I mean, what are you going to do with an under-23 title other than saying two, three years later, okay, I, I won the under-23 title, and it's, for me, it's, I wouldn't say meaningless, because it's still a race, and you, you get a, a jersey, and it's the experience, and you can, you know, it, 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 it it's something that, that helps in your palmarès, but no, I, I would I would definitely choose the elites, and I hope she does because I definitely think she has a fair shot of doing so. Yeah, it's a world title that you can add, but I would agree that a medal in the elite category is more prestigious than a world title in the under-23 category, which you can never show because you can never wear that jersey. Only at the under-23 world or European championships, sorry. So I don't really see the added value of a title there except that what Niels Albert brought up during the broadcast that it's maybe something that at the end of your career you can say well I became world champion in all categories junior woman woman under 23 which he doesn't have and then hopefully she can add an elite title later but it seems a bit of a title that you would then only have for bragging rights 
and that would seem a bit silly. I think she's proven that she has the level to race with the elites. She has the level to beat the elites. She even has the ability to win elite world cups. With the form she has now, I would indeed say it's probably the best if she races with the elites, but it's probably based on personal preference. So we'll need to accept that choice. And for the world championships or the national championships, I can understand the choice to skip it. If you think that the training camp will help you better, she also has priorities on the road. And let's be honest, the national championships are very poorly timed this year in the middle of January when many road teams are also on training camp. So I would say that makes sense. Then about some other riders. Mary Schreiber in second. Were you surprised that she ended second? The way she did it, I would say. And and I before the race, I would have probably put... Bucker um, ahead of her, but yeah, I think that in the end that was um, that was just a little bit too much for Bucker and and Schreiber started well as she always does. Uh, didn't really have that drop that she normally has. Was able to maintain quite a good pace on a course that suits her quite well, and then was able to you know she had Zemanova in her wheel, but didn't really look too much to her just you know was focusing on her own race didn't make that many mistakes and there were definitely some moments behind there where they were looking too much to each other and she you know she probably she had big profit from that and was able to you know maintain the gap that she had and i think for her it's a it's a huge result to be on the podium with the elites in the in a televised race which which has some some you know some value and some attention especially with the you know, with, with Van Anderoy in first, I think it's always nice to, to be on the podium with such a big name. And I think for her, as a talent, it's rewarding the amount of races that she's doing. And, uh, you know, a fifth place and a sixth place, it's always nice to have. But if you're on the podium, it's it, it hits just a little bit different. I'm not really surprised that she ends on the podium. And I think her race was just like most others she did. She was, yes, having a fast start, but I don't think she normally really pays the price for having a fast start at least differently than she did today today her second lap was a bit smaller but because of the nature of the course really suiting her she loves a flat course and a bit of mud it was not super surprising that despite losing some time on the chasers she eventually found her second breath and managed to drop Semanova. Semanova also impressed me and for some part i thought that she was really going to surprise by ending on the podium but she really faded, got a bit too excited in all of the action, but still a very solid showing. We said it in our Zolder podcast that you should probably not be too surprised if you hear this name a couple of more times in the future. And today was one of the first times, but it also showed that there is still work to do for her. Yeah, still a little work to do. I think that if she would have... Um if a bit a little bit more conservative at the start it might have helped her out later on in the race i think she's you know she tried too long to stay with schreiber and i think that was obviously um at that point probably for her the best thing to do but then you kind of blow up you get caught by the the other women behind you who you know were able to i would say do a different pace we're not on the limit all the time and then it's kind of difficult to battle with those women and especially mentally it's quite hard to battle anyways because you've already been caught and 
yeah, then it's, then it's going to be difficult. But it's um, you know it's a young talent. It's a talent that is definitely a bit uh, I would say a un- bit unnoticed because of the talent that we already have at the front with like a Van Anrooy and with a Peterson and Van Empel. But she's also definitely somebody that is um, that that has definitely some abilities that needs to to grow and. Uh, give her some time and 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 probably the results later on will hopefully uh, you know show show it for itself and then you will see the talent i mean today was just a talent auction because all riders were riding like they needed to impress bidders look at my talent some numbers from the top 10 we know from Anoi is 20 she's had a lot of shine on her already in the past couple of years but schreiber just 19 years old second year under 23 and fourth 17 years old, second year junior, Laura Molengraaf. 19 years old and fifth, Lien Burkier, second year under 23. First year under 23 and sixth, Leonie Bentveld. Second year under 23, Zemanova in seventh. Foucounet, also an under 23, maybe a bit older one, in ninth. Madigan Munro, also an under 23, was in the top 10 for a while, ended just outside of it. Millie Cousins, ended 12th, also just 19 years old. So much talent coming through in this race and okay, Varsh and Vorst, they forfeit it last minute. Other riders decided to prioritize other classified races. Probably a bit of a shame for Lunaut that they didn't have all the big names at the start that they maybe would have wanted. But on the other hand, it gives us a nice opportunity to look at some talent that we have had on our radar for longer and see them at full display. And for today, Molegraaf really impressed me. She's just a second year junior. And I think it's a good reference. Last year, as a first-year junior, she raced against Benfeld. Benfeld made some steps, but Modegraaf looks to have made some more steps because today she beat Benfeld. Yeah, indeed. I think you know Modegraaf definitely had an, I would say, a small advantage with um, with the barriers that did help her. But yeah, I think that it's you know, <laughs> I actually wanted to mention that about the 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 the, the way. The, the the women's race was broadcast especially in the last lap when you have such a battle uh, and and you have those women young talent uh, fighting it out I think like you said it was quite a big group with 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 Bakker and Molograf Burkey Bentveld Zimanova I think Kay was there as well Fukunet who crashed in the last lap uh, unfortunately uh, you know, if you have all these names and, and you actually get the only thing that you get is the the moment that they cross. Uh, the 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 start finish straight for the last lap and then you see the finish of them uh, when they cross the line and you know there was no battle in front I mean Van Anroy was was sure to win from lap two Schreiber was alone in a way when when Zimanova was not able to follow so then normally you would be focusing more on third place but for some odd reason it was um, the Van Anroy show and you know, rightfully so that she gets some attention, but I think it was a bit too much in the last lap, and that was a bit of a shame because I definitely would have loved to see these youngsters get at it and and try to battle it out for uh, for for those places because you know it's 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 always nice to have a battle. You know, like you said, the racing was uh, I would say a little bit boring compared to the men's race, but it doesn't really help if you're also going to show the one leading by a minute. And then the number two, he's leading by thirty seconds. So I think it's a bit, yeah, that was a bit off from um, for the from the guy that is uh, controlling the the cameras and being the director of of, of the race. And I mean, um, 
I've said it many times, and I think that for cyclocross there is huge uh, there is huge improvements that can be made in terms of coverage, and you know hopefully we will see more and more uh, improvements over over this uh, season which is probably not going to happen and over the next couple of seasons because there is there is much work for cyclocross as a sport in terms of broadcasting well then i think we've covered it i think there is not much more to say although i would have loved to talk about the women's race a bit more but i guess we'll need to do that in Baal. thank you for being here then isam Yes, thank you for having me, and uh, I guess um, it's the last uh, podcast of of the year as well, so we go uh, into 2023 very soon, uh, so I want to, uh, I think you want to do it as well, thank the the listeners and uh, wish them all a a very uh, nice uh, New Year's Eve and uh, hopefully uh, the best uh, that they can achieve in 2023, and a lot of hours listening to to the podcast as well (laughs) yeah of course we wish everybody the best for the new year hopefully a nice new year's eve and we will be back on new year's day when we will be discussing the third round of the x2o trophy taking place in baal the gp sven nice thanks for listening and goodbye